and during some of the toughest times I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time even to this moment uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is you're transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So my day job is that I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we are facilitators and coaches, and we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've been truly overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our previous episodes, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach for the podcast. Thanks to all of you who have already done so, and let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. Kate Luzio spent two decades in financial services where she led global multi-billion dollar businesses. And during that time, she also led many of the institution's women's networks and saw the disproportionate number of men to women and women of color in the senior ranks. So with that, she recognized that there was a problem that wasn't just a lack of talent, but was also a lack of investment and development. And that observation sparked a new direction for her own trajectory. In a sharp career pivot, she was already raising the, rising the ranks in the business world, specifically in the finance world. She decided to launch Luminary, which was a gender-inclusive global professional education and networking platform created to address the systemic challenges impacting women across all industries and sectors. 
And if you think today is just a conversation about women for women, I would challenge you to look deeper. Kate is an amazing entrepreneur, a CEO. She thinks about her own organization's culture. She thinks about how to spark ideas and how to make them come to fruition. She's relentless in her pursuit to try to make an impact and make a difference. And she's a business person. Make no mistake, she's also in a for-profit industry and a for-profit scenario where she'd love to earn a lot of money while doing a whole lot of good. Kate is also a Maryland Terrapin, which I know is near and dear to her heart. I'm from Maryland. I grew up about 20 minutes outside of College Park, Maryland. So we connected on on that level as well. And I think you'll find Kate to be someone who's really curious about learning. She loves doing podcasts and writing so that she can continue to learn and grow herself as a person and as a leader. Additionally, Kate's mission, I want to make this really clear, is to help women and their allies see a path forward by arming all of us with the tools, resources, and community to navigate their paths, regardless of their professional journey. So I think Kate is really inclusive, and I think that'll come across in today's conversation. While she is trying to empower women to improve their experience in the workforce, she's also calling on men like me to help become allies and help support those women. So I know you're going to love Kate. So here is Kate Luzio. Kate, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, Where I thought we'd start is around this idea of luminary and for women to empower women. But I think what caught my attention as I was preparing for this is that you also are welcoming men into your community. And it caught me off guard when I heard you say that in an interview. And then as we were just talking before we started recording, you also brought that right to the forefront. So let's get into this idea of how we empower women while also potentially inviting men into the party that you're creating. Yeah. So, and it's great to be here. Uh, So I, I've been, you know, I spent, you know, the better part of 20 years in finance and, you know, for most of the questions that I get around that is, oh, so where did you feel you know, like you were left out, you didn't have opportunities because you're a woman. And it was actually quite the reverse. I had incredible male mentors. Um, I had incredible male sponsors. I had very few women. Now, part of that is the is the industry itself and, and w- when I started. But more importantly, when I decided to do, do Luminary, I didn't want to create something that was exclusionary, exclusionary to, to anyone, right? So socioeconomically, what your background was, et cetera. But that also meant from a gender standpoint. And so while our mission, of course, is to, to advance women in the workforce and push them forward in whatever they want to do, we cannot do that without men. Um, without all genders, so let's say it there. But in, for the co- purpose of this content, this conversation, men and and why? Well, number one, many of us have felt excluded from different industries, different roles, different places because we were women, and I didn't want to kind of do the same thing that has been done in society. I think it's really important. Yes, while women have spaces for themselves and conversations, and we have plenty of those at Luminary, I wanted men to be able to not only physically walk into the space, attend an event, come to a workshop, be part of the conversation, learn from the conversation, be educated. And by the way, we are not just thinking about women and how do they get paid more and more opportunities. We're also thinking that just in the broader context of society. And so if I can help empower all, that is the best case scenario. Right. And so because we have individuals and because we work with companies, 
The company conversation is even more important. It's how do we make sure everyone and all employees feel empowered? Um, and is everybody going to participate in every single conversation and, and event and workshop that we have? No, but it's really important to me that all genders feel involved, that they have a say and that they understand that our mission is still to advance women in the workforce, regardless of professional journey. What would it look like for someone like me to sign up and be a member? And, you know, it's it's interesting. Like I majored in sociology in college and I minored in African-American studies. And for me, one of the benefits of that experience was feeling like another in a world that I typically don't experience that feeling. And I was in rooms where I would raise my hand and then I'd be like, yeah, maybe I don't need to say this. Right. <laughs> and I felt um, anxiety or nerves. Anxiety is too strong of a word, but nerves around what I would say, how I'd say it. And by the way, I got shot down uh, in those rooms as well. Uh, by the way, you have a cat. It's yes. like, this is the third <laughs> podcast I've had in a row with someone with a cat on their lap. I do not know what's going on, but it's the, you're the third. I, I swear you're the third podcast I've done with a cat. We'll come back to the cat maybe <laughs> maybe in a little bit. Maybe there's something around curiosity in cats that is is going on with the podcast. But I bring it back to just my yeah. experience and and feeling like another was a unique experience but then I graduated and went into the world and haven't always put myself in those situations. So what would it feel like, be like for me to enter that community um, where I know the mission is about people other than me? Uh, yeah. What would that, what would that look like? What would it feel like for someone like me? Yeah. And, and think about it. Well, th I think about most organizations that have a mission, right? It doesn't mean even if you're not I, I exactly fit in that box, that doesn't mean you don't support that mission. That doesn't mean you can't be equally involved. And so when we think about Luminary for you, right? So whether you're sitting in, in Maryland or you're in the New York area, wherever you are in the world, you can join the community. We are a join now community, right? There's no application process that is done by design that since we, since we launched. Again, goes back to that exclusion. I don't want to be exclusionary. I want to be inclusion and inclusionary so that you can join and say, hey, this is the place I want to be. Why? Number one, you're getting access to an incredible network of other people, maybe you know new podcast guests. Um, two is just the network in general. Three is the content and the programming. So maybe you're not going to join something on menopause. Maybe you will, because if you have a wife or you have daughter at some point, that, that might be something that you're interested in. But you may also think about tactics to grow your business or to network more effectively or just to navigate the next step in your career. And so a lot of the topics that we cover are not specifically related to it's only about women, right? There are going to be some topics that are going to be, I think, much more resonate with women, especially when with regards to pay transparency and women's health. But when we think about the topics that you as an individual would be interested in, that's one of the reasons why we have so many male members now. They're like, this is great. Yes, we love that you're focused on women, but we can also take advantage of this incredible community and all of this program as they navigate or as you navigate your career, your next steps. If you want to give back, if you want to mentor, if you want to be mentored, all of those great things. And so that's where I see for a male um, in, as, as a specific gender, there's a lot of opportunity to get involved. The other piece that I'm thinking about as you're talking is I've done a decent amount of DEI work and I've been on both sides of it. I've been the learner and I've also been involved in education. And 
once again, white, male, heterosexual, uh, I've wrestled with my role there. Um, mm. And one of the things that I try to do when I'm in the training role is to also be vulnerable and be open about some of my biases and some of mm -hmm. my shortcomings. And I would imagine having men in the room, even as you're talking about, let's say the pay gap or, or confidence or these themes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, women going back to work after having a baby, like these are, these are things that may not affect me directly, but I'm involved with the systems that we're creating around it. And I would imagine at least in my experience, when you have people that are willing to share openly and maybe share some of their own stuff um, and collaborating with them to create legitimate allyship and give a perspective, hey, this is how that might come off or this is how mm -hmm. that might uh, sound. At least in the DEI space, I've been surprised at the impact that I actually have because a lot of people we're talking to look like me. And that wasn't something I expected, but it was something that uh, has surprised me. So is is that something that you also notice when you do invite those people in, you're getting, you're getting diversity, you're getting multiple Absolutely. perspectives. Absolutely. And, and that is, that, that is, that is the exact reason you're getting multiple perspectives. You're not just getting the echo chamber of one view, right? So yes, could I have created something that was only for women and we'd we, we could have been only women. And there are plenty of organizations like that. Yes. That's not what I wanted to create because I wanted all voices around the table. Just like we keep saying we need more women's voices and more people of color around the table. That's great, but we need all voices around the table. And so when we think about allyship, all of what we do is helping to create better, more active, more impactful allies. But then to the point of thinking about how it resonates, and, and I'll give you a, a, a live example if that's helpful. So we have lots of corporate partners and they have corporate memberships at Luminary and those look very, very different depending on the company. And we had one with a, a bank um, and um, we were doing a confidence workshop for, for the majority of their women. And so, and, and there was a white heterosexual male that came to the training. And it was the first time in this particular training that we had had a guy join. And so I could, I was facilitating because I love to facilitate. And I could have either said, I'm sorry, this is really not for you. Or I could have just went with it. And I just went with it and said, you know what? let he may have a different perspective he stayed his name is greg um and uh, i talk about him often because he participated he listened and three days later after that training or that workshop i get an email and the subject line was feedback on workshop from greg and i'm like i'm not even reading this my immediate bias was this guy is gonna like say it wasn't for him and he shouldn't have been there so i waited till the end of the day and read it and he said, that was the first time I've ever felt like the only person in a room. I never thought about how that could feel as a woman, as somebody of a person of color. The second thing he said was, now I understand a little bit more about the, the challenges that women, my employees, my team may or may not face. And so I can now action some of the things that are likely going to be biases within my own organization. It was such a positive email that number one, I, I saved it. We've used it. I've, I've, I've actually published it to our entire community on here. Someone that said, I could have taken this as this is only for women, but more importantly, he used it as a learning opportunity. And now 
using that within his own organization, his team, how to build up confidence again across all genders. But it was just for me an, an opportunity to say, okay, look, this is what happened. So we've got to make sure more and more men are attending our workshops and, and conversations. What do you do to try to make that happen? We open it to all. So when we talk to a company, good example is, so when we look at our, our, we have a B2B and a B2C model and our B2B model with the companies that we work with, we tell them if we're working with your women's network, fantastic. But best practice would be to open sessions to the broader employees, right? As a benefit to their professional development, their personal development to feel more connected to the company, collaboration, you use that great word. Um, and for the most part, companies are like, wow, I didn't know that you could do this, but this is great. It, it does depend on the employee. Do they want to participate? Do they want to engage? But that's anything. Um, and then on the individual side, we're very vocal when somebody either walks into the physical space in New York or they participate in an event or a workshop online. We're very vocal. I constantly am reiterating like this. If this if you feel like this is a community for you, then be a part of it. It has nothing to do with what you look like, what your background is, your experience. And so we are always reiterating that message. And I will say the the, the men in particular that, that walk into our physical space or come to our events, I they would I would say they're blown away. They're like, this is a this is a great opportunity, but but part of a connected community that is actually working towards the greater good and wants to, yes, be successful. And I've got my own individual goals, but as a community wants to support itself. What do you think are the attributes that allowed Greg to even show up? Well, number one, obviously his company was supportive and said, Hey, if you want to go to this workshop, please feel free. I also think his manager probably saw him as a good leader and manager and wanted to continue to invest in his talent, um, but also wanted him to be able to maybe take away some ideas and, and experiences. I also feel like he was open. Even though there were 50 plus women in that room, and he even said when we did a little bit of a round of introductions, he said, I'm feeling quite um, alone right now because I'm the only guy in here. And we made him feel comfortable. We're like, Greg, welcome. Like, great to have you. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. Because the minute we say, yeah, you are the only, we're doing exactly what has happened to us in the past as being the only in some of those rooms. Yeah. The only is such a, it could be a book one day. Like, Oh, it's, absolutely. It's, it's a phrase that if you've experienced it, it can transform you. And uh, I've, I've been fortunate to be in those spaces, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. And it does. It changes how you how you think and how you feel. It's interesting. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you was certainly around women uh, and empowerment. And I feel like we've done that up until now. But there's this other piece that I'm I'm really curious about is just the role of of being a CEO and uh, you, you as a founder and an entrepreneur. And I'm so curious because we've had on other people that have been hyper focused. Young Presidents Organization. It's mm. in the title. Uh, chief, uh, and they're focused on women in the C-suite. And they have really niched uh, as far as what they're looking at. And a lot of marketing people say, find your niche. Mm -hmm. And as I'm doing research on Luminary, to your point, there's this concept of the power middle and this idea that 
we want to reach the people that might not be invited to those clubs. And we want to try to help them and help them get to where they want to go. And so there's a part of you that is niche in the sense of it's focused on women and empowering mm -hmm. women. But there's this other piece that to your point is very inclusive and, and maybe a marketing person would be like the power middle. Like, so you're going to be for like everyone. And what, <laughs> what is this thing? And I, I believe you also didn't go and fundraise, right? You didn't necessarily right. need to go pitch venture capitalists on your concept and your idea, which is once again, different than perhaps some other organizations. Can you talk about how you focus on women as a niche, let's say, but how you broaden it out and how you think about it from a dollars and cents standpoint and a business standpoint and, and how that serves you or how it might hinder you as well. Yeah. So I, I think when, when I, when I, when I, you know, left finance and wrote this business plan, you know, I was already quite senior in my role. So I was at the table. I had had an incredible, I think accelerated career in finance, considering I didn't start in that and wasn't my background. Again, it goes back to my, I had incredible male me mentors and sponsors, but I worked really, really hard. And, uh, and, and I took a lot of risks in my career, but what I saw was that where the focus always happened to be in a lot of companies was at the senior level and at the very junior, right? You want to bring them in, invest in them, you know, develop their talent, and hopefully they become long-term employees. And then there was this whole sort of drop-off. And it wasn't because everybody was leaving to have babies. Some did. You have to bring them back. There was this big drop-off. And yet, there was a huge amount, in particular to women, that were working in the middle. And it was all negative. It's the messy middle. It's the frozen middle. It's, you know, they can't get to the next level. And by the way, though, that's true. There's definitely that, um, that glass ceiling. Um, and, but there's also a huge number of people, not just women that are very happy in their roles. They want to continue to, to build their careers. They want to make more money. They want new skills, but it doesn't mean they all want to be in the C-suite. And by the way, most people will never get to the C-suite. It's a very, very small number. Um, and, and by the way, that's both men and women. And so I really set out to create something that was pretty expansive and robust around if you are already in the C-suite, if you are in what I call the power middle, if you're starting out your career, if you're making a shift, if you're in corporate and now you want to start your own business, who's talking to you? Everything is so segmented, right? It's entrepreneurs, it's millennials, it's Gen Z, it's C-suite. And I didn't learn in my career by being part of one group. I learned by being parts of lots of groups and being parts of big organizations. And so I took that big organization concept and thought there is a program out there for everyone. You've got to individualize it. So whether you're coming to Luminary to navigate your next step on your career, you want to start your own business, you're interested in just meeting other people and you've got a small network uh, or you've got a great network inside your company, but you've got a small external network. That's what I realized that we weren't talking to people and meeting them where they were, right? And where we can do that is in a community and by providing so much, and we do so much programming um, that some everyone feels like there is a program for me that I learn, I walk away with actionable tips. I've heard someone, a great speaker that I can relate to. And that's really why I started it that way. And that's why we've continued in that way. When I started it, 
you know, when I wrote the business plan and then I did financial projections, listen, I was a, I was a banker for 20 years. I knew that it was going to be really hard to go out and fundraise. And I didn't really want to take money from someone, whether that was a bank or an investor, because I knew the the strings that were attached. And I said, I want to build something that's a proven concept that hopefully can become profitable and sustainable. And, and then if I ever want to raise capital, I've got that proven model and I've got proof. And so that's how I started. Now, when you talk about VC, um, so I actually did, and I, I tell this to a lot of founders, even if you're not thinking about raising, go out and pitch because you will get some really unique ideas. You will get people poking holes in your model, in your business. I went into my network and said, who do I know in venture? Who do I know in private equity? Who do I know that could? And I sat around these rooms and pitched to, in particular, white men and let them basically tell me why my business wasn't going to make it, why I couldn't do this, why the business isn't going to work. And I built on that. And some of them had great ideas. And uh, But it really helped me also understand who I wanted to be in that room if I ever was looking to raise strategic capital and who I didn't want to. Um, so that's that was kind of the dollars and cents of it. And then I knew that I had, and I think every founder should do this if they're bootstrapping, it should have a line in the sand. This is when, this is how much I can invest. And this is by when I will stop investing. And if my business is not a success, profitable, sustainable, break even, whatever that, whatever those goals are, I have to walk away. And so that was for me very important because I didn't want to go into debt. I drew that line in the sand. When did I need to become at least break even then profitable? And when would I stop investing? And my sort of knock on wood, I have never invested another dollar after my initial round of capital to start the company. Wow. Would you want to sell this one day? You know, I, I it's just funny. This keeps coming up. I, sure. I think uh, as a business person, you have to be open to all ideas. And if somebody came and said, I can totally take this, you know, even way more than you could as the CEO, and we've got this capital and we've got this, if it made sense for the community, for the members and me, sure. Uh, I, I don't think you can say no to things. You have to have conversations. I would be a bad business person if I emphatically said, no, I would never. I think when I first started, Brian, I did say that. I'm like, I'm going to build this for the next you know, 30, 40 years. And I, I think that was a little bit naive. I also never could have expected how hard it was going to be to be an entrepreneur, right? And by the way, we were 13 months old when the pandemic hit. So that has been, and now we're entering a recession. So it's been a really interesting ride to be an entrepreneur, a bootstrap one at that, um, during this time of economic turmoil and, um, and the pandemic. Are you a risk taker? Yeah, definitely. Uh, although my banker, my, my, my personal banker would say, no, um, I have always taken risks in my career. I think that started from when I was a small, I was raised, I have two brothers and my father is very focused on making sure that we were always competing and we played sports and, uh, and doing the best that we could. And so by virtue of, I, I raised my hand a lot to do new things, to, to become the captain of the team, those types of things. And then when I got into my career, I knew that I needed to make sure that people knew who I was and I couldn't keep my head down. That is not 
what women especially should do. We better be talking about who we are and what we bring to the table. And so, yeah, I, I definitely, especially within the finance world, because I had no background and they took a chance on me. They took a risk on me in that first job. And I think every time after that and the multiple jobs that I had over, you know, the course of two decades, I, they, they were all risky opportunities that, you know, calculate your risk, see what the reward is. One of my mentors, even when I started Luminary, um, he said to me, the skills that you have built over the past 20 something years don't go away just because you decide to do something different. In fact, you're going to leverage those skills. You're going to build new skills. And if you want to go back to banking or whatever, you can. And so um, for me, that risk-taking has has really, I guess, you know, been a, a constant in my career since really since I started. You mentioned entrepreneurship and the adversity the company has faced <laughs> as we laugh about it, but it's probably not all that funny going through it. Uh what have you learned? What have you learned just being an entrepreneur that's different than working for a big bank? You worked for, at least from your profile, like two massive banks uh, and you you know going off on your own and starting your own thing. What have you learned about entrepreneurship? As you said earlier, it's it's probably harder than you thought it would be. Like what yeah. didn't you know then that you know now about that that process? So one thing is you can't control everything. Right. And, and I am a type A control freak, perfectionist, whatever, whatever uh, adjective you want to say. And I, again, naively thought as an entrepreneur, oh, well, if I own it, I can control everything. Right. And you can't. And you, you, you have to be able to, one, be okay with that you don't know everything. I think, especially when the pandemic hit, now that we're hitting recession, obviously you keep learning and learning and learning. That's, that's part of, that's part of the job. I, that was something that I heavily underestimated. And also you don't have any infrastructure when you first start out, right? And even as you build your company, your infrastructure is never going to look like what my infrastructure looked at JP Morgan or Bank of America or HSBC. Uh, and so being comfortable with the fact that you literally have to build everything out on your own, but that's why I worked for 20 something years. All of the things that I learned over my career led me to be able to build Luminary. If, if I had tried to build Luminary five years, 10 years before, I don't think I would have succeeded because I didn't have, for me, that core learning and understanding of how to run a business, how to manage a PL, how to look at strategic decisions, how to make decisions quickly. And I think as an entrepreneur, especially one that's, that's, that's bootstrapped or self-funded, you've got to make decisions very quickly. You've got to be nimble and, uh, you know, I, I think I've learned that about myself, that I can do that uh, without a consensus or a board telling me I have to do something. And so I think for me, I've learned a lot about myself as a leader, uh, making really tough decisions without some type of safety net, not only for myself, but for my team. And just knowing that when I'm backed against the wall, I'm going to continue to come out swinging. Like I said to somebody the other day, when, if somebody tells me no, I look at that as a maybe. I'm just, I'm a relentless person that will never give up if I believe in something. It's interesting because I go back to what you were talking about earlier about those people that are in the middle and they might be content with where they're at. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we sort of 
our society says you shouldn't be like, you should right. climb up the ladder and you should want to get promoted or become a manager. And let's just zoom out away from women and just talk about it from a human standpoint. And I find the people that I work with, we try to make a distinction between contentment and complacency. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times those words get blurred together. But to me, success is about contentment. Con contentment is peace of mind, fulfillment, self-satisfaction. Complacency is boredom, uh, <laughs> not interested, not feeling alive. It is what it is. I'm stuck, like yep. very different. Um, so for you, what gives you a sense of contentment? Where, where do you get satisfaction and fulfillment from? So for, for me, number one is, is just obviously, you know, I want to continue to grow the business and, and see where it takes us. And uh, if there are, 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 I think it's always going to bring different opportunities. The one thing that, you know, I loved about my former life as a, as a, a in leading businesses in finance was that I had all this client access and I loved talking to clients and finding out what were, what, what were their challenges, right. And how we could support them it's no different at Luminary, right? So whether I'm talking to a company that's trying to figure out how to, you know, engage their employees in a different way, support their women, whatever that is, or an individual that's a member of the community that's that's looking for a new connection or, hey, how do I make sure my company survives during this time and or build or scale? Every time I hear an anecdote or this is, you know, Luminary helped me do this or this person that I met helped me do this, for me, that drives me, right? Most people will say to me, well, when are you going to go raise your hundred, uh, you know, 50 million, hundred, what all, all the others have done? That's not a measure of success for me. And I think when you look at the power middle and the people that are content, as long as you're getting something out of your role is, and if you're working for a company and your company, and you feel like you can continue to challenge yourself, if you feel like you can continue to, 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 to make money, if you feel like the company continues to invest in you, you can be content in that, in that role. Um, and by the way, that may change. Like our careers are not static, right? So for now, you may be content with that. Maybe in a few years, your life stage changes and now you want to do more. And maybe you now want to go after something or maybe, and we see this quite a bit, I'm taking a step back. I want to have a better, you know, I use air quotes balance in my life, or I'm now a caregiver or I'm a working parent, you know, all of those things take, we've got to kind of take into, into consideration. And so this one size fits all that everybody's got to climb the corporate ladder or raise a hundred million dollars for their startup is wrong in my mind. And, um, and I, I have concerns for the younger generation if that's what we're telling them, that in order to be successful, this is what you, it has to look like. No, I know plenty of people that are very happy in their jobs and they're very successful. They've never been on a cover of a magazine. They're not going to be in the C-suite, but they love what they do and they have a good life. It's it's so true. And, and you hear, let's just use billionaires and they'll say, it's not about the money. And when I hear them say that, what I really hear is it's not all about the money. Mm -hmm. And like, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what they're saying. Yeah. They're, they're not. So, cause it's always like, okay, it's not about the money, but you just cut 10,000 jobs <laughs> and you just did X, Y, and Z. Right. 
what you're trying to say is that if you link satisfaction and contentment just to the money, you're probably going to yeah. feel pretty empty inside. And so I loved how you said earlier, no, this is a business. I'm not running a nonprofit. It, I do care about the PL. And by the way, mm -hmm. if I don't care about that, we won't have this company anymore. It'll go exactly. away. Exactly. Um, but exactly. But there's nothing, but there's nothing wrong with your identity being multifaceted. Actually, there's a lot of science and research to suggest that you should put your identity into multiple buckets. And when I hear you talk, I hear, I do care about the money and I care about the impact. Uh, like that's where my contentment probably comes from. And it's probably some blend of the two. And I think for some people, they just focus on doing good or they just focus on doing well and they miss the opportunity to blend the two. And um, a mentor of mine always said, do well and do good. Like the, yeah. there is nothing stopping you from holding both of those to be true. And I think we talked about nonprofit leaders before we started recording. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes nonprofit leaders run into trouble because they're just focused on doing good and they're not focused on doing well. And by the way, I think sometimes some Wall Street people are focused on doing well and they don't have any compass around this purpose of doing good and what that can do for you and actually sustain you. And the last thing I'll say is for me in my business, I've been coaching people for gosh, 12 years now. And um, I, every year was trying to grow and mm -hmm. I say grow really financially. Like I want to make more money than the last sure. year. This is the first year where I was like, and I usually do like a word of the year type deal. And, and I wrote sustain and you said mm -hmm. sustainable earlier. And I think for me, uh, for whatever reason, and there's probably a lot that have gone into it, like shifting from, I need to just keep climbing to like, mm -hmm. I'm actually, I've reached a point where I said I wanted to be financially and let's sustain for this year. And, yeah. and oh, by the way, I think by focusing on sustaining, I think I still may grow because you start saying no to things, you start being more efficient with your time. So we'll see how it shakes out at the end of this year. But that idea of sustaining is something that is becoming more and more attractive to me um, in my life for, for a number of reasons. Uh, for you, how do you balance your relentlessness, your <laughs> risk-taking, your entrepreneurial spirit, your competitive spirit? And I don't want to say balance, but make sure that you're not over-indexing on that at the risk of, of burning out and making sure yeah. that you have enough capacity to handle all of what being an entrepreneur brings and the 24 seven nature of it while also making sure you're, you're healthy and you're not going to burn out in another three years of, of doing this. Yeah. You know, it's, an, it's, an, it's, I think it's for me, it's, it's an, it's an evolution, right? So we're, we're four years old, so we're still quite young. And, and I, in my mind, we still have a lot more room to grow and, 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 and a lot more impact to have. Right. And so um, as I think about sustainability of the company, it's absolutely, it's about, uh, you know, making sure we're still there. I have 20 something people that now rely on me every two weeks to pay them. And so part of that drive for me is making sure that yes, we're still there. Part of that is also thinking about being, as we just talked about earlier, is being open to those conversations, right? So if I ever did want to exit or sell the company or there was a strategic opportunity, I have to make sure that we're in the best, we're packaged the best way, right? Both financially, her talent, the impact, all it's, 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 it's the bigger story, right? Um, so I, I, I'm in my, the back of my mind, I'm always making sure, you know, what is that story? Are we telling the right story or are we, are we living up to what we say we're doing? Um, and then the last piece is, is just thinking about, you know, for me personally, 
you know, what do I want to achieve with the company? Right. And so I think oftentimes people set out and they, and I see this with founders all the time. I just want to start a company. I have a great idea. Do you have milestones that you want to hit with your company? Some of those are going to be financial. Some of those aren't going to be financial. And I think laying those out strategically, and maybe that's every year, maybe that's every other year, depending on how the company evolves. I think that's really important. And if you have an end game, how are you going to get there? So if it is, I want to exit in five years or 10 years, or I want to build this to, to pass on to my son or daughter, whatever that looks like, what does that look like? Um, and you have got to hold yourself accountable during that time. And the, the last thing that I would just say on how do I keep it? I have a fantastic team. My team, when I am getting too involved or micromanaging, which I think, you know, an entrepreneurs, it's hard. It's our baby. It's like, we got to be involved. They will tell me step away. We got this. And I have to, to remember that I hired them for a reason. So I have to step away and let them do their jobs. And I think my team as we've grown now considerably over the last two years, they're getting more and more comfortable with being able to that, have that conversation, but also more and more comfortable with their skin in the game and the roles that they play with the company. I've been fortunate to coach a lot of successful women. And one of the things they'll tell me is that they often are constantly getting tapped to mentor others or yes. getting tapped to sit on panels where they're not getting paid. Uh, they get tapped to, you know, they get asked to be on nonprofit boards. And so one of the things we talk about is like, how do they manage themselves to make sure they're not being tugged on too much? And how do they not overextend themselves? Um, for you, you're now in a more public facing role than perhaps you were with the bank. Um, and you're facilitating at mm. companies and you're speaking and you're writing and you're on social media. What do you do to manage what you say yes to and what you say no to? So I, I look at everything through an ROI, return on investment lens, right? So what's the return on my investment is in that in that event, in that conversation, in that mentor session. And, and so for me, there are only so many hours in the day. And, and if I couldn't, if I could respond to every single LinkedIn thing I get about, Hey, I'd love 15 minutes of your time. That's not realistic. Right. And so, but I, what I will do is look through those and say, okay, where do I think I could add the most value? Is there an opportunity here for me to develop a relationship? Um, and, and, and oftentimes given my, my background, especially in banking, but then also my, I'm very involved at Maryland where I went to college, my undergrad, those, the, the context for me is very important, right? So anytime a chirp reaches out, I, I will figure out a way to, to spend some time with them, especially undergrads, because they're looking at their career and how do they navigate it? On the speaking side, I have a rule. So if it's a company with a budget, they're going to pay me. If it's a small organization, a small nonprofit, they're not, you know, they don't have tons of sponsors for the event, then, then I won't, then I will not charge. But if it's a company that comes and says, Hey, we want you to be on this women's history month event. And I see that, you know, I look at their earnings report and I know they have budget. That's my rule. Um, I won't do it for free. And I think, again, goes back to the line incident. You've got to have boundaries on what you will do and what you won't do. Are there exceptions? Sure. But for the most part, that's pretty much my rule. Uh, and then I, my assistant is amazing at, 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 at kind of sifting through all the requests and saying, 
maybe there's somebody else in Kate's network, or maybe there's somebody else on the team that, that, that you can speak with. Um, or by the way, Kate won't be able to speak with you for a couple of months, given the calendar, if that's okay, we'll schedule for, you know, 25 minutes. Um, but it's hard because you feel guilt. You want to do everything for everyone. And I would say I'm still, um, a victim of, of probably being way over, over my capacity. And, and that bleeds into my personal life, but setting boundaries is really important for me as I think about the health of myself and the health of the company too. And also that I want to give other people opportunities for exposure. It doesn't always have to come from me. I think about CEOs and there's like three buckets that I think is a big, are a big part of the roles. So one is just attention to detail. You talk about PLs. You talk about you have to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on, dotting I's, crossing T's, so to speak. Uh, and then there's this other piece of management, which you talked about. You've got a team of 20 people. What's your emotional intelligence like? Do you have people skills? Are you able to connect with humans? Um, <laughs> and then there's this third piece, which I think is like dreamy, visionary, creative, and you know, being able to make something from nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying CEO founder, let's put those together because it's not founders and CEOs are not always the same thing, but those three pieces, right? Attention to detail, management, human skills, and then the the ability to dream and be creative of those three. Is there one that's a strength of yours? And is there one that's a weakness? Yeah, I, I would say the third one, you know, I don't, I, I don't think I'm a visionary or, 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 or creative that that's, probably where I, I, I lack the most, um, the attention, the detail, the drive, the, um, I, I have those, like, I mean, that, that was my career from that was, that's just me in a nutshell, but the, it's the third that I would say is my, um, my opportunity where I could, I could do more. Someone said to me, but you created something, you created luminary, you created out of nothing. You wrote a business plan and now you have a company. Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, but I look at other founders that have created things, their products, you know, life-changing things. And and I I feel like I'm nowhere near that. So I think that's where I I, I probably over-index on the other things and that creator visionary piece, I still continue to have to kind of work on and, and allow myself time to be creative and think. And as I hear you say that, here you are, you're on a podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, you, as I said, you're active on social media. You've done media podcasts. You mentioned speaking earlier. How do you manage the external PR, let's call it, to try to get the word out on Illuminary? I'm assuming that's one of the reasons that we're, mm -hmm. we're chatting today is to try to let people know that this exists. And while in New York City, perhaps a lot of people are aware, there's a lot of people in New York City. And, and you're also, I think, in 30 countries around yes. the world. And it's crazy when you look at your podcast yeah. numbers and you see that there are people that actually listen to this all over the world. <laughs> and so I'm curious, like, how do you decide right now you're with me and you're giving me your presence. And the only other thing you're giving presence to is the cat that's sitting on your lap. That's it. <laughs> She's it's the very, three very needy this morning. <laughs> she is. It's the three of us. That's yeah. it. Right. But you're realizing that this hopefully will have an impact and help uh, Lumin Luminary and uh, help you continue to, to uh, market and let people know what you're up to. 
how do you figure out about how you work on the business and work on things compared to in it and be with your team? And um, perhaps you said you're high on control, like get back into the weeds. Yeah. How do you manage your time so that you're working on things that help it grow, but also stay with your finger on the pulse and use that attention to detail that is a strength of yours? So every time I speak at something or with someone, whether it's a podcast, whether it's the media, whether it's a speaking engagement, and you know, the, what I also wanted out of that is to learn, right? So it is, I look at everything, it is not about me. Um, yes, I'm giving my time, but so is the other person or the audience or, you know, in, in that, in, in the meeting or even the media, right? They're giving me a, they're giving me their time too. So I take that as every opportunity that I'm learning, right? I learn from the, just the conversation we're having and the questions that you're asking and, you know, what your audience is looking to hear. So it, I have to think about, it's not about me, right? This is not as, yeah, of course I want to market Luminary. I want people to know about us, but that's not why I've done the, these. That's not why I write on LinkedIn. Um, that's not why I do op-eds. My reason is that I want my experiences, the experience that I've taken from others, what I've learned to impact someone else. And I've said this, I said this recently on a podcast, whether 500 people walk away with impact or one, it doesn't matter to me because somebody is walking away with impact and actionable advice and something that they can apply to their life, their career, their relationship, whatever, their, their, their health. That's what I care about. And it took me, you know, 20 something years in corporate America to realize that I wanted to drive impact in a different way. And, and that's currently um, in my role as the founder and CEO of Luminary. I'm able to do that. And I'm able to do it and be my complete real self. There's no BS. I don't have any investor telling me what I can and can't say. I'm speaking the honest truth in every conversation that I have. And if people find value in it, amazing. If they don't, they'll move on to the next conversation. It's it's fascinating for me because people sometimes ask me, this is like episode, I don't know, 325. I don't really like follow each episode in the numbers, right. but people are like, Hey, Brian, like, why do you still do it? And sure. I've gotten business from the podcast and that's great. But the truth is I've been able to hack and basically create my own learning experience. And I get to talk to you. Whereas, yeah, if I had reached out to you cold and said, Hey, you know, Kate, can I pick your brain for 15 minutes? Maybe you say yes. Maybe you say yeah. no, but a lot of people say no and they should, by the way. Um, and so <laughs> the podcast has given me a platform to learn and to connect yeah. with people and learn. And so it, for people that are always curious, like, why do I keep doing this? A, I get to connect with really interesting people. B, I get to learn and then C, I get to share. And yeah. like the ability to learn, connect and share is really fulfilling to me. And it helps me, I said sustain earlier, but that was financially. I don't want to stop growing when it comes to learning. And and you are saying that over and over again in our conversation today, I boxed learning in my notes because mm -hmm. it's clear to me that you, you value that learning experience. And for me, part of learning is also mentoring or teaching or mm -hmm. sharing. When I do those things or when I write, I become better educated at whatever topic I'm talking about. And so it's cool to hear you bring that out for yourself as well. Um, as you think about 
what you all are doing at Luminary in the future. And you mentioned going through a pandemic and you all have a restaurant and bar and yeah. uh, you have a, a space in New York. And I'm sure like 20 years ago, you probably weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to be an owner of a, a, a restaurant or bar. And, and you've got this global network that you're now building and you're able to do it globally in part because of the pandemic, right? The opportunity that presented itself is that people now are probably more apt or more willing to what's possible mm -hmm. from a global standpoint and be on a Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Google Meet, whatever it is. Um, but then there's also this, this element of connection that we get when we are in person that's also valuable. As you think about where you're going and what you're trying to build, how do you think about the global connection that might be more remote? And how do you think about the in-person energy that comes from being at your space in New York City? Yeah, listen, there's 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 never, I don't think, a full replacement for being in real life, right? I mean, and 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 I also think it's how do people how people learn. Like I learn one-on-one -on -one like this, I learn live. I don't learn pre-recorded. If somebody sends me something that I have to download and watch and follow along, believe me, I did that for a long time in compliance trainings at the banks, right? It's like, oh my gosh. Um, so in real life is amazing. The pandemic, thanks to the pandemic, you know, never could have estimated that we would be building this company in, you know, totally virtual and then our physical space. But what it showed me was that people just want to connect. And they want to connect in a live, and I use again, air quotes, environment. And so as long, everything, Brian, that we do at Luminary is live. So yes, we record everything so people can go back and watch it, or if they missed it, they couldn't participate, but I want engagement. So whether you're sitting in New York City at a, at a panel session and you're in that audience live, or we're live streaming it and you're watching it from Bethesda, Maryland, you can still ask questions. So we bring in those questions live and say, we've got a question coming in from Brian and Bethesda, almost like a talk show, right? And, and so they're they're feeling engaged even digital, digitally. Um, and so for me, that's one part of it. It's making sure the community feels engaged um, and taking that in real life experience that we have in New York on the road. So last year we did eight cities where we were on the road in Chicago and Boston and LA and Atlanta and Miami where Nashville, where we actually brought the Luminary experience to these cities for a couple of days. Our members, non-members, our corporate members, people in the community and giving them that taste. And then we'll, we started that again this year. So we've already been in Miami. We're headed to San Diego on Wednesday. Um, we'll be in Houston, Cleveland, um, Philadelphia and other cities where we're bringing that in real life experience. So you've got a little bit of a balance. The one thing that I would say on in real life is even if you want to be in real life, life gets in the way. And so having that convenience and flexibility to be able to tune in for even 20 minutes of something when you've got to go pick up your kid from school or you've got a deadline for work or you just don't feel like getting out of your pajamas for the day, um, having that opportunity to do it online, I don't think so ever going to go away. And I think people are going to use different communities and different organizations and say, great, this is my in real life. This is my virtual. Sometimes they're going to be both. And, uh, you know, I say all the time, it's the consumer, it's the customer's choice. And as long as we're providing value and impact, they will stay. As you're telling about putting the show on the road, I'm curious about what it's 
New York City, in my opinion, this is a generalization, but the people that go to New York City go to New York City for a number of reasons, but mm -hmm. a lot of them are there because they're career driven. And mm -hmm. look, I have a brother in New York City. I have another brother that was there for a long time. I've spent a lot of time in New York City. I do think there is an intensity and an energy and a um, focus on work that is different there than any city in the U.S. I can't, I'm not going to compare. Totally. I know you spent time in London and I'm not comparing it. Let's just focus on the U.S. And where I live in D.C., um, I find there to be like, you've got some of that intensity, but you have a lot of people that are home for dinner and you have yeah. a lot of people who are shut off on the weekends and um, it's different. And I, I'm curious for you, you start in New York city with perhaps women that are there in part, in large part because of their career and their focus on their career. And maybe their drive and their ambition is different than a woman in Cleveland. And it's not to say there aren't entrepreneurs and CEOs and women sure. they're, they're everywhere, but I'm curious, have you noticed anything different as you expand luminary beyond New York and you see it even culturally beyond the American border and, and you see it in other places, any cultural differences that um, make the concept challenging or, or what, what's it like to go beyond New York city from a um, consumer standpoint? No, I think, I don't know if it's, I, I mean, I think, yes, absolutely. There are, there are going to be dif differences, right. And I think part, part of that is just, you know, what works on the ground in some of these cities uh, that that's even down to like time, right. Do people do, you know, in New York, people will come to a six 30 or 7 PM event because they haven't been, that's when they finish working in some other cities, maybe they finish work at five. And so they want to go to an event that starts at five or five 30. And so that's the importance of having people on the ground locally, our community, our members and asking them like, what will work? Right. Cause if you just think you're going to go in and, and it's all going to work that, that you're going to be very mistaken, right? You've got to have people locally that are going to tell you what's working. By the way, what topics are really important? Um, do they face different challenges? I, I think for women in particular, a lot of the challenges are going, going to be similar, um, but tweaking the time, tweaking some of the, the even location, um, you know, New Yorkers are used to public transportation. We're, most of people are not commuting with a car. You go out to other cities, people are commuting with a car. Uh, and so maybe not necessarily as much in DC because who wants to deal with the beltway, but you have to, you have to, okay, is it centrally located? What time, um, what time does school start, right? Cause you want to get, make sure that the mom, if there are moms or dads, they can drop their kids off, all of those things. So you've got to listen and, and everything that, that we do is, is, is taking feedback and listening and then making those decisions because if it's our way or the highway, it will not work. You mentioned listening and feedback, and I want to start to wind down, but I want to capture the management piece of your, your role, because you said earlier, you know, I think my strength is in the details and, and knowing what we need to do to be a, a successful financially, a financially successful business. I think maybe my weakness is that I'm not this uber creative visionary. And then there was this third piece that I brought up, which is people and managing mm -hmm. people. And so I want to 
double click on that a little bit because in researching you, I think you're a big believer in 360 feedback and you're a big believer in listening and you bring in listening and feedback from a consumer standpoint, but I'd like to find out how you manage a team of 20 and what goes into the culture that you're creating at your company. We, we can spend all day talking about what you're trying to do for the consumer, but nothing is going to work if you don't have that team of 20 having a great culture. And it's interesting because sometimes I will get this skinny on a company that externally is, has a mission and values that are painting a picture of one thing. And then you go underneath the hood and you realize they're not practicing what they preach internally. Um, So give us a sense of the culture that you want to build at the company and what management looks like from your standpoint and how you can help your team thrive. Yeah. And this goes back to my, my first, you know, role as a people manager 20 something years ago, right? I want to, and I learned from some good managers and I learned from some not so great managers, but what I always start with at the end of the day is where do they want to be? Like, why are they here? What do they want to get out of the role? Um, What are their aspirations in joining the company? So whether that was JP Morgan or Luminary, right? Why are they there? Um, And of course, it's a very different, it's a very different answer from when you're a banker to you're working at a, you know, a, a woman's, you know, company focused on advancing them in the workforce. But I get under the hood of who they are. I ask a lot of questions. Sometimes people say too many questions, but I want to know them as people. What drives them? Do they have a family? Um, what, what makes them tick? And it takes some time and it's investing in the people but then you can start to create connections, right? They're still my employees. I'm still their boss. What I see at my company, and I say this to them all the time is, I've never worked in a company where everybody, not me, I'm the boss, hangs out with each other. They genuinely like each other. And I think that's because there's a culture created that it's a two-way street. People can talk to each other. People can talk about what's working, what's not working. People can give me feedback. and, and hopefully they feel, and I, I, I believe they do, um, they feel comfortable in giving that. I ask for feedback. I don't want it to be just me giving feedback. Um, and I learned that very early in my career that that 360 is so important. I also feel like if someone's got an issue that they have to be able to raise it. And if that's, I need to go pick up my kid from school to, I'm going to go freeze my eggs to I'm pregnant to everything in between. They have to be able to vocalize that so that I and the company can know how to support them. You mentioned that everyone likes to hang out, but I'm the boss, not me. Do you, you mentioned boundaries earlier. Do you put some boundaries on your role that is different than what you were doing when you were working at a bank and you're part of the part of the cog and part of the machine that what's, what's different. Cause that was an interesting little nugget that you, yeah, that you, you know, in I, there. I did this in my old life. I mean, I ran huge businesses at, at the banks that I worked for. So some of those were distributed, right? I wasn't with them all the time. There's a time and a place to be the, you know, with the team. And I think that's really important in team building. And then there's a time when you step back and say, let that team build without you. So I'm very cognizant of when, for example, when we go on the road, I take a bunch of the team members. I will do a little bit of time with them, be with them. And then here's the corporate credit card. You guys go have a nice dinner, hang out and be together. 
I don't need to be there all the time. I want them to gel. I want them. And if they talk about me or whatever they do, um, I want them to feel like they, it's not always the boss is there watching over. And, you know, I, one of our team members um, had a birthday on uh, Thursday of last week and I was on her. So she's on my social and that it was like, she had the whole team, like at her, at her birthday dinner, that makes me feel so good because they like each other, right? They go out of their way. And so, yeah, do I participate in some things? Absolutely. But I want them to feel like I don't have to be involved in everything. And by the way, Brian, nor should I be, right? Um, I, 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 I have to, to kind of walk away from the happy hours and let them enjoy their time without them worrying that their boss is there. You're out in San Diego, and I believe you said uh, you guys are doing a pop-up out there. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what your pop-ups look like, what goes into them. Uh, and I appreciate you waking up early for, for this conversation, but what, what goes into a pop-up and uh, give us a little behind the scenes as far as what you're doing out there. So every city looks a little different in San Diego. Um, we are doing a big event around owning your worth. Um, so we've got three incredible speakers on Wednesday evening just talking about their career experiences. One is um, the chief business officer at uh, Werewolf Therapeutics, a biotech company. Um, one is um, Bridget Coulter, who is the founder and CEO of Blackbird House, which is another women's um, community, which is one of our partners out in LA. Um, and so just hearing their stories, how they've sort of owned their career, how they've asked for their, for more, particularly as it relates to money, et cetera, and then giving people an opportunity to connect. And so that's one. And then the next day we have a full event day, literally full day um, geared mainly towards business owners, entrepreneurs, founders around how they build, grow and scale their businesses. We're partnering with Verizon on that. We've been a, a national partner with Verizon for a couple of years now. Um, and that is a heavy content day of, of building your business from building a business plan to knowing your numbers, to digital marketing, to um, to listening to incredibly seasoned entrepreneurs in the local community and how they built their companies. And then obviously networking and coaching. So those are two days of, of just, again, a ton of content and a ton of programming that we do kind of every week at Luminary. But this is very, again, very targeted in the, uh, in the local market. When you say coaching, what do you mean by that? Just so that people are able to have the one-on-one and conversations and feel like there's this, not, not necessarily the individual coaching that we all think of. I, I look at everybody as a potential mentor and coach, right? So every conversation I've learned from this conversation. So when I say coaching, it's like, Hey, you're going to be in the room with another 150 business owners. What can you learn from them? What can they learn from you? And so taking that idea of mentorship almost into a um, peer coach mode where you're, what are my lessons learned? What worked, what didn't? And having them walk away with being able to hopefully apply those to their careers, their businesses. You mentioned uh, a lot of personal stuff on social media. I encourage people to follow you and we'll give them your handles uh, as we close. Um, but there's one thing that I don't know about, which I just noticed is it looks like you have a tattoo on your wrist, uh, <laughs> your, do, yeah. your inner wrist. So I'm curious what, what's on your wrist. So, um, I, I, I'm divorced, but I have a, an incredible partner. He, uh, we've been together for several years and, um, it is, um, the, it's, a, and he's Italian, I'm Italian. And it says, uh, Storia de Amore, which is love story. 
Um, and it, it's sort of us. And um, it reminds me every day that no matter what's going on in the world, my company, he's by my side. That's a beautiful place for us to close. Uh, Kate, if people want to learn about Luminary, I love your website. It says we are Luminary, which, yeah. you know, look, I know domains can be tricky to figure out, but we are, uh, I know you have a Pennsylvania background and I know you're a Terp, but being where, where we live, we are, I think of Penn State and I think of uh, that <laughs> community, um, but we are kind of speaks to everything that you talked about today when it comes to inclusion and diversity and inviting people in rather than, you know, it being just luminary or I, uh, mm -hmm. it, it really sounds like you value the community. So we are luminary is, is the website. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, social media, where, where can people find you on social? Sure. My, my, my best kind of is, is LinkedIn. You could just search Kate Luzio with a C C A T E Luzio. Um, I'm, I'm very active there. My Instagram, um, I'm active and you know, Gary Vaynerchuk would say I'm not as active as I should be, but um, Instagram is Kate Luzio, C-A-T-E Luzio, L-U-Z-I-O. Um, and those are my two biggest sort of platforms where, uh, where I'm active. And then obviously um, at the company. And I'll say for Kate's Instagram, I'm not a big Instagram guy, but preparing for this, I went on there and you've got some awesome content. It's really made me think about impact instead of likes. Uh, you've posted about potential and how women are often um, have to perform instead of the focus on their potential, which from a sports standpoint resonated with me. I think we often uh, in sports draft based on potential mm -hmm. with men. And even right now, there's a whole discussion around women's sports and um, how do they get equal rights and um, equal pay. And so okay. it's 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 really interesting to to think about it that way. So you you've provoked a lot of thoughts in, in me that if I were to spend time with you again, I'd probably uh, dive deeper in. So I recommend people follow you on on both of those social media sites. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson and LinkedIn as well uh, at Brian Levinson, and uh, you can listen to all these conversations conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. Kate, what's your cat's name? This one is Louie. It's a girl, but short for Louise, but her sister is not as, 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 as needy as she is, but this is Louie. <laughs> All right, Louie. Thanks. Thanks for joining us as well. Uh, Kate, we do not show the video, so it's just the audio. So don't worry about Louie making an appearance. Louie's tail has been very active in this very conversation. <laughs> uh, but Kate, what you're doing is inspiring. Uh, appreciate you giving us your time and hope everything in San Diego works out well. And hopefully at some point we'll also connect in person as well. So thanks, Definitely. For, coming, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brian. Have a great one. I appreciate being here. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. For me, personally, you know, what do I want to achieve with the company, right? And so I think oftentimes people set out and, they, and I see this with founders all the time. I just want to start a company. I have a great idea. Do you have milestones that you want to hit with your company? Some of those are going to be financial. Some of those aren't going to be financial. And I think laying those out strategically and maybe that's every year maybe that's every other year depending on how the company evolves i think that's really important and if you have an end game how are you going to get there so if it is i want to exit in five years or 10 years or i want to build this to, to pass on to my son or daughter whatever that looks like what does that look like 
Um, and you have got to hold yourself accountable during that time.